Well, a happy Thursday, everyone, and welcome into This Week in Hockey. Alex Ferrario, the Joe Vitale with you as we are happy to be along once again for two straight hours of hockey talk, this time with Joey V back out on the road. Buddy, I felt like uh, I felt like we had a streak there where it was just home, home, and home. All these This Week in Hockeys were in studio, and well, now we're back to the road trips. Yeah, we're back on the road here, Alex. We got to make it work and doing the best we can. But you know what? We're in Edmonton now, and I'm telling you right now, I am starting to warm up more to Edmonton. They got this beautiful facility, which is a few years old now, but uh, they got a great hotel that's actually connected to the rink. They got the tunnel system and the bridge system figured out. I have not stepped outside here in Edmonton since we landed (laughs) and I walked from the bus to the hotel. I don't think I need to leave until the game is over and we need to walk from the bus to the airplane when the Blues head to Winnipeg um, uh, Friday night on the way to Winnipeg to play the Jets on Saturday night. So, yeah, I am a big fan now of Edmonton. It's no longer the bottom of my league. It's 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 slowly creeping up. It's like the second or third at the bottom now. Anytime a city that's always cold can keep people from walking outside, that's an ultimate victory. Genius. I, I mean, mean, Winnipeg does this, you know? Yeah, well, you'd think they would, but they're just a hole of sadness is where they are up in Canada. How's the food game in Edmonton? The food game is pretty good. I stick to the steaks. That's pretty standard. Smart man. I, I never go to the sushi. Never in Edmonton. Why is that? And it, you know, I just to me, Alex. I, if I'm gonna be on the coast, I'm gonna have seafood. But if I'm not on the coast, unless it's like a big city like like Las Vegas or maybe a Nashville, uh, I always typically try to stay away from the seafood, and especially sushi because sushi's raw. I, they, they don't need Joey broadcasting getting sick. Uh, who who would, who would do the games? Who would do the games? You know what I mean? Who would provide the entertainment? <laughs> exactly. That's, that's the real question to be had. Speaking of entertainment, did did we come to a conclusion of the uh, ongoing dispute at the end of post game on Tuesday night? Is there a beach in Edmonton? So apparently there are. And when we got into Edmonton at like one yesterday, uh, we were getting on the elevators and Curbs yelled at me across the elevator. He goes, hey, Joe, did you see any beaches yet? And it was right in front of O'Reilly. And O'Reilly confirmed that there are, in fact, beaches here. I Again, I have not seen them. And uh, but, you know, I'm assuming they're lake beaches because we're kind of in the middle of the continent here, yeah. and, which I don't know about you, Alex. But I mean, are beaches that aren't on the ocean considered no. beaches? Like, would you consider a lake beach? No, a beach? I wouldn't. No. It's not a beach. No, I'm sorry. Kate, my wife and I go to Michigan in the summer and we always go. It's right next to Lake Michigan, obviously. And she's like, oh, let's go to the beach. I said, stop calling it the beach. It's not a beach. We're going to the what lake. What do you call it? The lake. Thank you. The Thank lake you. shore. Thank you. You go the to lake a shore. lake shore. Think I'm gonna write okay. this down, this, and I now have ammunition for Kerber tomorrow morning when I see him. And this is a 6:18 show tomorrow night. I think we're gonna continue this battle because you know what, Joe? This is what we do. We do this week in hockey where we get our our story set so that when we go into the 6:18 show, we have ammunition where we can take it down. <laughs> we come ready. We we need a two-on-one curbs. Curbs yeah. one-on-one is suicide. Yeah, you, you have to get together. You have to be. It's gotta be premeditated. It's gotta be pre-planned to take down the great Chris Kerber. Yeah. So now we know exactly what's going to happen on the 618 show tomorrow night. You're going to come in and you're going to propose the question. I got your back and we're going to turn this guy. We're going to turn this turkey down. I love this. See, this is what we get, ladies and gentlemen, camaraderie. And make sure you tune in tomorrow night. It's Blues and Edmonton Oilers as it will be an 8 o'clock puck drop here in St. Louis. A 7 o'clock Mitsubishi Electric pregame show. 730 BMW of West St. Louis pregame skate. But the all-important 618 show Twin Peaks 
view from the booth comes your way at 7:18. So Joe, let's do a little bit of a recap of this past week. It was a shortened week obviously because there was the All-Star festivities. It got underway on Monday in a a tough loss to Vancouver, but not an ugly loss to Vancouver because that was a hell of a hockey game where you just got robbed by a great goaltender and then you go to the next night where you lose to Cal or you beat Calgary in a shootout in what Craig Berube thought was an ugly victory. You know, it's interesting. You talked about the two games, kind of the tale of the two games, Alex. You go to Vancouver, you throw everything in the kitchen sink at the Canucks, and you end up losing that game. In fact, you don't even grab a point. Uh, then they go to Calgary uh, a couple days later, and they win it in a shootout. And at the op- at the end of the game, Craig Berube almost didn't even want to talk about the game. He was so aggravated, so upset, uh, based off the two points that got in Calgary because of how the team played in comparison to a couple nights earlier or the night before <laughs> that in Vancouver where the Blues didn't t- pick up any points. But he was so satisfied and so happy with how his team played. I mean, to me, this is just a tale of a coach that is just very um, process-driven. He's not a results-based coach. Yeah, of course you need results. I'm not saying that he doesn't think about the results. If he didn't have results, he wouldn't have his job. But the results are a byproduct of, of the process. And he is just so process-driven that whether you get points or you don't get points, in the end of the day, it's about what are we building? What are we getting? Are we getting any momentum? Are we feeling good about our game as we head into kind of the 20-game-ish mark, uh, start getting the 20-plus games here after we get out of the 30s here pretty soon? You know, How are we going to be feeling heading to the deadline? How are we ultimately going to be feeling about our game heading into the playoff push? Because we all know how it is. You don't get to the playoffs and just turn on the switch, and here we go, boys. Let's turn it up. It doesn't work that way. It's about it's about having that consistent game leading into that second week in April. How do you think that re- re- resides with players in the locker room, Joe, after you know a, a hard-fought victory to get to a shootout with Calgary, but undoubtedly an ugly loss like or an ugly victory like we mentioned but if a Craig Berube comes out furious about that in the postgame comments you would imagine it's that way in the locker room with this team how does that resonate for players I think it resonates very well because you know at the end of the night let's just look at Vancouver and the Calgary game for example Vancouver you play great great energy great execution you lose that game what's the coach been saying the coach is happy you know, he's happy. We did everything we could. Coach is happy. So the players are like, okay, you know what? We didn't get the two points, but coach is satisfied how we're playing. So the players are feeling good. And then you go to the Calgary game. They win two points. The coach is livid, completely upset, uh, completely um, just puzzled by how they played. Uh, so obviously the players were a little snake bitten by that. But then again, you look at the end of the night and you get two points. So there's still something to feel good about. I think for these players, it's all about confidence. You got to have something to feel good about, whether it's the coach's remarks uh, at the end of the Vancouver game, or it's just grabbing two points and figuring out a way to do it in Calgary, whether you play great or not. Good things will, will continue to breed confidence. And at this time of the year, it's essentially, I think, what, what players are, are getting after. So I think there's the players here, they just take positives from every situation. Well, and look, you know, what, another thing that breathes confidence into a team, Joe, is when you get players back from injuries. And, you know, on Monday, or Monday night against Vancouver, you get Colt 55 back into the lineup. And, you know, he had a presence in the game. He didn't score a goal. It wasn't anything overwhelming that he did. But it's a body that you put back out there, and it's less time that you're throwing at Petrangelo and Bo Meester and Falk because Pareko can eat up the minutes. So I think that's a hell of a return for this team. Oh, it's going to be so big. I mean, and again, I don't think that you look at Colton Pareko as the fact that he made such a difference right away. And I think for any player, whether you miss a week or whether you miss 
um, you know, two months. It's going to take time. I was talking to Sammy Blade this morning at the rink, Alex, and and I asked him how his first game in Calgary went, and, and he was a little disappointed. You know, he wanted it to be quicker, but he also understands that it's a patient game. You're not just going to miss six weeks, come back, and get right back into the rhythm. And for Colton Pareko, it's going to be no different. I think that he got his feet a little bit under him over these last couple of games. I do expect a little bit more tomorrow from him. I think he expects more out of himself. I think this head coach expects more out of him because it, it's going to come down to you're, you're facing the two best players maybe in the National Hockey League according to st- statistics. I mean, Connor McDavid right now, he's sitting at 76 points and um, Dreisaitl's at 75 points. Those are the one-two punch in the National Hockey League. So having Colton on that back end is going to be so important because we all have seen how terrific he has been um, shutting down some of the best players in the world. I was just doing a little math here because I'm starting to look at the 76-point plateau for Connor McDavid. Check this out, Alex. He's got 76 points, okay? Braden Chen and Robert Thomas. W- would you argue, Would you say that those two forwards are having good years? Oh, yeah. I would say that they're both having phenomenal years. I would agree with you. And if you put Braden Chen and Robert Thomas's points together – it adds up to 70 points. Connor McDavid has six more points than Braden Shen and Robert Thomas. And it's no disrespect to Robert Thomas and Braden Shen because I agree. I think they're having great years. It's just insane how how just uh, dynamic this player in Connor McDavid is. I am excited to see him as always as a fan tomorrow. But to wrap this all up to what you're talking about, Colton Pareko is going to have a big responsibility tomorrow. Yeah, well, and they found the way against the Edmonton Oilers already this season. They've played against them a couple of times. They've held McDavid and Dreisaitl fairly silent. I know they've picked up some points here and there, but it's not like they're setting the world on fire every time those two guys play against the Blues, and that's a result of playing with Pareko and Bomeister on the opposite side. Now, of course, Joe, throughout a season, you're going to have injuries. The Blues were so lucky last year, and you know we'll talk a little bit about the underrated X factor for this team, which I think is going to be injuries, but we do find out that Oscar Sunk is on the injured reserve list and we find out that Alexander Steen was banged up in that Calgary game but good things I'm hearing that it sounds like Steen is going to be fine to play tomorrow night which is awesome to hear well it is going to be awesome to hear especially for the Blues crew that joined us on this trip Alex Trevor Nickerson Chris Pinkert um, they kind of two of the guys that lead the whole group as far as getting content out there for the St. Louis Blues now they don't make every trip they send out some assistants they send out some other people within the Blues organization to cover certain weeks and, and road games but they both came on this road trip for Alexander Steen to play his 1000th game in Winnipeg because they wanted to be on top that they're doing a story actually right now in Winnipeg so you know it was one of those things where uh, I was really grateful to see that Alexander Steen is probably going to play for their sake. Uh, not that they wouldn't have made it a great chip anyway, but uh, there was so much build up to this and there was so much excitement. Uh, there's a buzz around this team, there's a buzz around the organization. Certainly, I'm sure you're feeling it back in St. Louis about what Alexander Steen is about to do. He's about to hit the plateau that is, to me, one of the greatest plateaus you can hit in this sport. It's the 1,000-game mark. He's going to get the silver stick when they go back to St. Louis for his first game back to recognize it. I mean, this is just the longevity that it takes, um, the luck that it takes, the good teams to be a part of, but just the day-in, day-out grind, patience uh, that it just comes with from a personality standpoint, from a player standpoint. And Alexander Steen, it does look like, uh, knock on wood, everything goes well tomorrow in Edmonton, he should be dressing 
in Winnipeg for his 1,000th game. He skated today. He looked like he was full practice, full physicality. Does not look like the injury he sustained in Calgary is going to be anything to prevent him from playing his 1,000th in Winnipeg come Saturday night. Well, that's great to hear. And we're going to talk more about Alexander Steen's legacy uh, coming up in the second hour tonight on This Week in Hockey. One more, Joe, I want to throw at you before we take a break, and we're going to come back and dive into a little bit of the All-Star festivities from this past weekend. But we find out today a couple of transactions for the Blues. One, Troy Brower being called up, which makes a lot of sense because of the injuries and you have depth. But the one that intrigues me, and I'm curious if you're on board of my conspiracy train, but Nico Mikola and Ville Husso both get extensions, two years, one-way contracts, which in my eyes means Doug Armstrong once again is protecting himself and setting this team up for the trade deadline because of the kind of surrounding rumors of the Blues being active for a top six forward. You know what, Alex? It, it, it certainly does look that way. I mean, this has been um, this kind of jumped out of left field. I'll be honest with you. Uh, I don't know how you feel about it, but uh, Billy Huso and Nico Mikola both having one-way NHL deals. Um, now they're not making a lot. I think they're both in the mid-700s. Yeah. But the fact that they're not two-way deals, and for all the fans out there, meaning uh, there's two different options. You can get a, a sign a two-way deal or a one-way deal. Two-way deal basically means when you're called up to the NHL, you're making NHL money, and then we can send you down at any time, and then you're going to make AHL money. But both of these players are on NHL one-way contract so let's say next year when the when the the contract kicks in whether they're playing in the nhl or they're playing in the american hockey league they're making nhl money so what leads me to believe is doug armstrong sees these two guys up here next year he would like to see nico mikola at some point be a part of that top seven on the back end and possibly billy huso being the backup which um you know does it set you up for a trade possibly and you can't look any really further at this point than Jake Allen maybe being released sometime this year. At least that's what the speculation is. I mean, do you do you lose him in the offseason or do you lose him quicker maybe at the deadline? He's playing great hockey right now. Would he be good trade bait for this Blues team? He certainly would. There's the other side of it that Jake Allen is such a proven veteran that's going to help this Blues team continue to win. He's maybe have to come into playoffs and win you some big games. And he's a terrific locker room guy and he's just well-loved in that locker room so that's that's the side where you want to see jake stay but then the other side alex i mean he's making 4.3 million dollars right with the st louis blues as a backup and then billy huso i think his contract was for 750 so doing the math just on top of my head that that, that frees up about 3.6 million dollars worth of cap space that you could you could use towards a top six forward for example so you see both sides of it you know, this is certainly a first step, I think, to see maybe Jake possibly be on its way out. We'll, we'll see how it all develops. But um, it's definitely kind of came out of left field, of both those contracts today. It'd be interesting to see how this thing develops as we inch a little bit closer to the deadline. Yeah, and I'll just say this before we break. You know, by no means am I sitting here saying that I think either of those two or a Jake Allen is going to be traded. It's just very interesting to me because we've been told how good Ville Husso is. He's not having the great season in San Antonio this year. He's healthy, but of course they have been going through a lot of call-ups that San Antonio has been going with. I truly believe Nico Mikola is going to be on this NHL roster next season, or he could be a big trade piece. So it's very intriguing 
intriguing to see that those two extensions came about today. But right now, it's just kind of wait and see. And we'll talk about the trade deadline a little bit later on as well with Joe Vitale. Of course, it is this week in hockey. I'm Alex Ferrario. He's Joe Vitale. We'll take a break. We'll come back. The all-star festivities from this past weekend. What a celebration in St. Louis. Joe and I will talk all about it next here on 101 ESPN. Welcome back to This Week in Hockey. Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you here on a Thursday night as the Blues get set to take on the Edmonton Oilers tomorrow night. And, of course, coming off of the Battle of Alberta, which we'll talk about that in just a bit because Joe Vitale attended that game, so can't wait to get his thoughts on that one. But first things first, Joe, how was the All-Star weekend, buddy? Alex, it was unbelievable. I, I mean, the anticipation, the excitement, was certainly there for me. I mean, I'm not going to say that I wasn't excited. I was excited, but I had no idea it would be what it was. I mean, I had no idea Union Station could look like that. I mean, <laughs> you were through that building. I mean, just the the setup of the hockey shooting, the stick handling, the mascots were there. I mean, the NHL, the NHLPA, all the sponsors, the St. Louis Blues did such a wonderful job. The weather didn't deter anyone away. Last time I was in that building, it was a six-hour wait for the Stanley Cup, and that was even before the skills competition and all-star game. It was fun, man. First of all, how the hell did Gritty get out of jail for this weekend? Dude, what's up with that? Yeah. I mean, that should be safe for our what's up with that app or oh, yeah. uh, episode or section there. Hey, you know what? He was there, and he uh, was at the skills competition with my son. And one of my favorite parts of the skills competition was, in fact, the dance competition <laughs> amongst the divisions. Of, of, of course it was. Of course it was. Of course, Gritty was like right in front of us. And, of course, he's got to be the star of the show, which I'm sure that all the fans absolutely love. But, uh, no, in all seriousness, I, I really enjoy his antics. I enjoy that he grabs attention. I enjoy that people uh, know him for what he is. In some ways, I kind of wish a lot more mascots would kind of find him maybe a little bit, uh, some character, some identity in that fashion. But, of course, the St. Louis Blues in the Central Division taking home the dance competition for Louie. I think they play Nelly as well. But, hey, who? what mascot was it that stripped down <laughs> and had, like, the American flag? underwear that was absolutely amazing that was the minnesota wilds mascot got it that's who how great was that i was trying to think who is that and and then of course the uh louis and all the other mascots are trying to cover him up that was Uh, that was probably the funniest moment of the weekend it really was and you know what it was just a great way to put it on by the nhl in st louis joe and you know we didn't even mention the alumni game that we were a part of the broadcast here on 101 espn which turned out excellent had so many positive uh thoughts and comments from listeners but you go into that skills competition and i'll say this i thought the skills competition was about as entertaining as you could have from a skills competition when it comes to the normal things like having the hardest shot the accuracy shooting which i have a tangent about that i'll get to that in just a second the fastest skater but you know what i really love joe i, I thought the, the the women's tournament was put on excellent uh in terms of fan support and just the cheering that was taken in place and then when they had that platform shooting the platform shooting i thought was such a cool new thought from the nhl and you know they may have to change it a little bit because it turned into everybody shooting for the arch and getting those 10 points but it was still something that i kind of caught myself being a fan standing up and cheering for you know what, Alex? I, I think it was a cool idea, uh, the, the platform, the shooting from the stars. 
uh, part portion of that. You know, I've heard a couple rumblings that people were in those sections. They had to actually leave to put the netting above, and then they had to get put back. Uh, so, you know, from where I was sitting, it was kind of hard to place the puck. I know uh, there's definitely some wrinkles. There's got to be there's some hiccups that need to be solved for next year if they do it again. I think some people were upset because some players were hitting targets, but then they were bouncing out, so they didn't count. Right. Um, so little things like that. But again, this is the first time they've done it. And, you know, certain areas of it or um, details of it can be cleaned up. And I think it could be really cool moving forward. I love the fact that they're doing something different. I mean, you can't get stale with this thing. You can't have the same three, four things over and over every single year. Or uh, it will get a little bit stale. I liked the hardest shot competition. I'm actually excited to see or hear from you what your rumblings about that was. Because I thought that was awesome. Uh, The one area that I would like to see go back to, as cool as the digital accuracy shooting thing was, I kind of miss the explosion of the targets you know what i mean uh, i know the digital one that apparently after the first shooter i forget who it was off the top of my head uh some some sort of technical difficulty they had to bring out a new piece of plexiglass so that kind of delayed it a little bit again cool idea they're trying new things i applaud the nhl for doing it but the accuracy thing i kind of like when they put those styrofoam targets on each corner and seeing those things explode was always a cool thing for me so i kind of like to see them go back to that but what were your thoughts about the hardest shot competition? well it wasn't the hardest shot my tangent is that accuracy shooting joe because i thought oh, okay gotcha. i thought that was a joke to me like i don't i i understand why they went to the digital side because that's the world we live in it's an easier mentality to have those platforms you know you could put the pictures up there so it's a better visual for the watchers and viewers but here's the thing you're going to get issues when it comes to technology and that's exactly what they had i thought at least six separate times in that entire skill that players actually hit the target but it was so touchy that it didn't count when you go back to having the targets and blowing those targets up you know exactly what's going on right like you know when they hit the target because you see it explode and the fact that we go to the digital side and i heard somebody make the excuse to me when i put it out on social media is like oh well it's easier for them to clean this one up because there's no cleanup that's a joke to me who cares if you have to clean up a target for 10 seconds where people can watch it and you know for a fact that they hit the target now i'm not saying go back to the you know oh well you gotta it's basically how many targets you hit and how many times no i think the timing is the perfect way to do it but you need the targets because i think when you're going accuracy you can't rely on technology to tell you if it's right or not because i specifically remember joe petro hit two separate targets that from my point of view looked like he hit them but it didn't count because it was too touchy and who who knows would have won it then well, I think that Thomas Hurdle, who had five, I think it was four right off the get go, right. bang, 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 bang. And I think the first one or the second one, I can't remember which one, I think it hit the actual post, but the target went off. So he just obviously kept moving along. And I, and I looked down right at the players, and they kind of were throwing up their hands and laughing. Right. Like, you know, so to me, yeah, I think with the, the real targets, there, there's less room for error. There's less room for technology getting in the way. For anyone out there who's upset that, oh, there's going to be more cleanup that's going to delay, listen, you could you could find any two 11-year-olds in any town and say, hey, you want to be on the ice for the All-Star Sills competition and clean up targets? I mean, they would be so giddy about it. Screw the 11-year-olds. I'm 29 and I'll do it. 
I'll do it for sure. I'll, I'll work on my off day, you know. But then every now and then you'll probably, you know, it probably is asked. It's probably a big group of people out in San Francisco or California. All those green, super green people. Like I'm a green, pe- green person. I recycle, but I'm not about uh, the waste. And I can see how there's a certain group of people with waste management. Oh, we're, we're oh, not yeah. taking care of the earth and the styrofoam and all this other kind of jazz. <laughs> but anyway, long story short, I love the skills competition. Uh, along with um, all the great things we already discussed, uh, how about Wayne Gretzky coming out? there oh, yeah. and getting the standing ovation uh, my son met him two days prior really didn't know who he was at the time after i kind of went into it over the next two days then he comes on the ice he gets the standing ovation i can't think of a better way to start the skills competition all-star weekend than to have the great one out there and my coolest moment i thought was after it was starting to kind of die down, you see this a lot with superstars, the ovation kind of picked right back up again. And he was just speechless, obviously humbled by the whole um, the situation of being in front of the Air Price Center and having the, the round of applause twice, maybe three times uh, in sequence there. So cool, cool moment for St. Louis. Well, and I think that's so cool too, Joe. And I mean, I, you know, I don't know how many other athletes have that status to where you see them and you give a standing ovation because like it just felt natural when Gretzky stepped onto the ice because you are witnessing the best player to ever lace up the skates in St. Louis, a place that he calls home and a place that he said he said verbally to the fans there and on national television that this is one of the best places for hockey fans. So I thought that was really cool. And, you know, I got to give an applause to the NHL and how they went about including the Blues alumni. I thought it was awesome to see Bernie Federico come out on the ice, although I thought it was a little strange they didn't let Bernie shoot. Like, at least let the guy shoot the puck, right? (laughs) Rather than pass it to Petrangelo. Um, I thought it was awesome to see Al McKennis take that slap shot, although it did look a little rigged when they flashed his score up there but then when (laughs) Seth Jones takes the shot a couple seconds later it doesn't show up but you know I thought that was awesome Keith Kachuk coming up there with his sons was great and then Brett Hall wrapping things up so uh, props to the NHL for putting that together and the St. Louis Blues for including those alumni you know what we were sitting in the skills competition about a section below suite level and i kind of spotted uh key kachuk and i was just kind of keeping an eye on him his reactions obviously <laughs> to his, both his boys out there and remember brady kachuk on the, the breakaway competition for the goalies his first attempt he just lost the puck right. and I looked right at big wolf and he was <laughs> beat red laughing the whole box was going nuts but uh, you know what alex you're right it was it was such a special moment and, and getting back to the gretzky thing just for a second and talking about the kids these days and really understanding this. I know a lot's been said about Alex Ovechkin. He can possibly catch Wayne Gretzky as far as goals all the time. It's very possible. I did the math the other day with curves, and I think it's if he plays like five more seasons and he gets 35 per year, something around that mark. So it's certainly doable given if he can stay healthy. And the question always is then, well, does he become the greatest of all time? And, and obviously the answer is absolutely not. I mean, to put this thing in perspective about just the points, I mean, Alex Ovechkin may become the greatest goal scorer of all time, but from a hockey standpoint, all-round player, dominance in the National Hockey League. Wayne Gretzky will always be there. To put this in perspective, John Kelly threw this stat at me the other day, which is insane. I can't believe as a broadcaster I've ever known this, but he has more assists than the second player has points, if that makes any sense. So wow. he's number one in points. Yermer Yager is number two in points. Uh, I can't think of the number right now, but Yermer Yager's points, Wayne Gretzky has more assists then he has points. I mean, put that in perspective. That's I mean, that is just, it's insane. It, it can't be touched. It will never be touched. Even if Connor McDavid, I think, plays till he's 60, I don't think the point-wise will ever 
quite get there. And Wayne Gretzky, again, we're looking at the greatest of all time. We had the pleasure of seeing him back here in 99. Uh, some great memories for a lot of Blues fans. And the fact he loves coming back to St. Louis. Uh, something significant about this city. The people here, applaud yourselves. You let these stars kind of come back here uh, and you kind of like let them just be. He talked about when I was doing the Q&A with him, he can go to the coffee shop. He likes going to the schnooks there in Ladue and people may see him, maybe give him away, but that's it. They kind of they kind of let him just be. I mean, every now and then he'll sign an autograph, which he's happy to do. He would never turn anyone away, but he likes going to the movies. He likes going to the grocery store. He likes going to restaurants where half the people don't even know him. And some people who do just say, hey, Wayne, thanks for all you do. And they just kind of move on about their business. So uh, kudos to St. Louis. And it's no question, no reason. Um, beyond that, why so many stars uh, play here, retire here, stay here, and just love the city of St. Louis. Real quick, Joe, before we wrap this one up, and I love the Ovechkin-Gretzky kind of uh, point of this one, so we'll talk about that in just a bit because there's some records that I think are just incredible to talk about in the NHL. But your thoughts on the All-Star game in general, because I thought it was entertaining, but I do feel like it's an area that the NHL can improve on to make it a little more entertaining for uh, viewers. They, it can, without question. I mean, I love Craig Berube's comments. Uh, we talked to him the next day after everything was said and done. The teams all went back, and uh, Craig Berube's first comment was, well, I wasn't a big fan of the defensive structure of our team. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know what? That's easy to see, easy to say. Uh, something has to change, Alex. I think that's just a fact. I talked to broadcasters in Edmonton a couple of, excuse me, not in Edmonton. We were in Vancouver a couple of days ago. Uh, same in Calgary. Uh, just hearing from Al McGinnis, hearing from a lot of guys who are around the league. Something needs to kind of give for the all-star game, for the competition of it, just to get ramped up a little bit more. I don't know what needs to get done. I mean, they threw the money out there. They said the winner gets a million dollars. You think maybe that was the incentive for players to kind of pick it up a little bit. I think we saw a little bit of that, but I think it just this this All Star Game is something that you have to kind of keep reinventing the wheel. You got to keep it fresh. You got to keep it spicy. I mean, I don't know. Does the NHL go back to East versus West? That has some really good battles back in the day. Um, but uh, whatever it is, something kind of does need to change a little bit. I don't think you can get rid of the All Star Game completely. Um, I think you need to keep it. Some players are saying that I think if it's in warmer climates, more more stars will want to go. If anything, maybe not so much the competition will ramp up, but you're going to see a lot more stars going. Of course, as they made the announcement last week, the next one will be in Fort Lauderdale next year. I, I can't see Alex Oveshkin skipping out of that one. I mean, that's just too <laughs> nice of a climate. So, um, yeah, my, my, my thoughts are this. I love the skills competition. I love the fans get there. I love the fanfare. I love that it's about the fans. That's all great. If there is one area that needs to improve um, – for the fans, for the league, I think for the integrity of the game, it certainly needs to be the all-star game on Saturday evening. That's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. We'll take a quick break and come back with more talk Battle of Alberta, Calgary and Edmonton. Joe was there. We'll get his thoughts on this battle in the Pacific Division next on This Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. Back into the Thursday night, Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you as the Blues are back in action tomorrow night, two days off, as they'll take on the Edmonton Oilers. 8 o'clock puck drop tomorrow night with Curbs and Joey. A 7 o'clock Mitsubishi Electric pregame show here on 101 ESPN. I will have that for you. A 7.30 BMW of West St. Louis pregame skate. Of course, the Blues coming off of that victory against the Calgary Flames on Tuesday night. The Oilers will be coming off of a loss to the Calgary Flames last night as we had the Battle of Alberta, which honestly, Joe, the popcorn was out way before that puck drop last night, especially after these last couple of games where things have gotten heated with Matthew Kachuk and Zach Cassian. And, and I'll say this, it didn't disappoint. And, and I'm sure you feel the exact same way. Dude, that game was insane. I mean, the fact that everyone was talking about, I mean, 
Now, fans in Alberta, fans in Florida were probably watching that game, and that's what it's all about. It's the Battle of Alberta. It's supposed to get mean. It's supposed to be feisty. It's supposed to jack up ratings. And, you know, we were in the bar watching last night, and there was a huge buzz, a huge buzz around town, and it certainly lived up to the expectations. Not really exactly the way I think people were scripting it. I thought maybe thought, I don't know about you, Alex, but I kind of felt Matthew, Chuck, and Cassie would just go. Yeah. I actually had a, a wager on the line at dinner that they were going the first shift, but they didn't. It almost looked like Matthew Kachuk challenged casting off that one face off and he kind of skated away, which a lot of people were like, why didn't he, why didn't he fight him then? And listen, Zach Cassian is such a good fighter. He, he's been in these situations before. He knows Matthew Kachuk is waiting to fight. It's all he's thought about for two straight weeks. And of course, Matthew wants to get it out of the way quickly. Zach Cassian's smart. He's like, you know, I'm not going to go right now. I'll, I'll tell you when we're going to go. We're going to go a little bit later. And he's he wants Matthew to think about the game. He wants him to get distracted with the fact that he thinks he's actually going to play a hockey game. And all of a sudden, bang, out of nowhere in that second period, he wants to go. So it was kind of a, a cool little chess match of mind games for Zach Cassie and Matthew Kachuk last night. But uh, what do you think of the uh, the actual fight there, Alex? Well, I loved the fight. I, like, I thought that was perfect. And, you know, I want to first touch on, Joe, what you mentioned there, because the Cassian and Kachuk brawl, so it came out afterwards, and I'm sure you saw this, but basically Kachuk was the one that told Cassian, like, let's go right now on that first shift. Cassian told Kachuk, why don't you think about it? Take a little bit to think about it. Like, I don't think Cassian wanted Kachuk to do it right there. I think they wanted it to stew a little bit. They wanted it to build up a little bit. And then when it actually happened, I thought it was kind of funny because nobody landed a punch, right? Like they were all misses in punches because I think the adrenaline was pumping so much. But the applause, I thought, was the coolest part. Like both teams gained a lot of respect for each other after that fight, in my opinion. No, they did. And you know what? Kudos to both players. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say Matthew did great or Zach, you know, whatever. I mean, both players did themselves justice. Both players did the the sport justice and certainly their cities and what they represent. Uh, Matthew Kachuk, I mean, listen, this is a kid who grew up in St. Louis. He went through the development program, but they weren't allowed to fight there. He spent (laughs) one year in the OHL at London, but he was a point guy, so he didn't fight much in the OHL either he's not a fighter he's never trained to fight and on the flip side you have zach cassian he was the king of a king of the hill in the ohl but i mean he was a killer everyone was he was the measuring stick for fighting in the ontario hockey league forever he's coming to the nhl and he just fights he just knows how to fight he throws rights he throws left he is one of the most intimidating players still in the national hockey league for matthew kachuk i mean for him to go out there and and to perform like that under that pressure under those circumstances um not only applaud the effort of even dropping the gloves with him but he hung in there very well i mean there was that left hook right off the bat from cassie and he kind of ducked under thank god or that would have probably <laughs> knocked him out but um at the end of the day it is such a relief i mean i'll give you a little player's perspective here um the build-up for matthew i mean the ang- people will never understand the anxiety the loss of sleep the stress the pressure leading into a night like that especially under a, a microscope like we are up here right now in Edmonton, given this is one of the hockey capitals of the world. Um, I, I remember my, my playing days, I don't like to talk about it a lot, but I remember I hit Daniel Briere, I hit Grossman, knocked both those players out of the game. We were playing the Flyers. There was stuff said in the paper. I knew players were coming after me. It was a two-week layover before we played them again. I mean, I was just on edge. I was so stressed. I didn't sleep. Uh, the Flyers had Jody Shelley, who was a killer. They had Zach Ronaldo, who was actually in the game 
last night for the Calgary Flames. And I just remember um, just the, the, the feeling of not being myself for a long time. I certainly wasn't a present dad. I wasn't a present husband. I wasn't a present teammate. I mean, it was just a lot of it was kind of consumed my mind. And I'm so happy that not only Matthew's okay, but from a friend's standpoint, I'm just glad he's he, it's done. It's beyond him. It's past him. I was thinking about Big Walt and Chantel, his parents. They're probably grateful that it's all over. <laughs> I don't think this thing is over, Alex, by no. all means. But I think I think that Matthew had to do that. I think if he didn't do that, Cassian's a player that would just continue to chase him down until Matthew finally dropped the gloves. But he did it. That's over. It's water under the bridge. I think they're still going to have some battles. But this part of history, it, it's done. It's beyond them, and now they both can move on. Yeah, and you know what? I already had a, a huge amount of respect for Matthew Kachuk before that fight and before everything has taken place. Just I, I think I truly respect the player that he is. He's kind of like his dad. Well, he is like his dad, but he's kind of like a Jerome Ginla too. Like he doesn't take any ish from any other players, but he's a guy who can produce and can back it up. But I, I was really excited to see it end that way because, again, I really felt like there was mutual respect between Cassian and Kachuk and between the Oilers and Flames after that moment, especially because Kachuk was the one that said, let's do this. He wasn't evading anything. He was going at it. But I'll say this, Joe, and I'd like your thoughts on this. I was a little surprised that guys like Milan Lucic didn't jump in at any time. Like, there are some players on that roster that are just guys that, you know, they're not expected to be point players like Matthew Kachuk. They're expected to be grinders and to go out there and help their teammates. And I'm surprised that those guys didn't jump in at all. Well, hell yeah. I mean, I feel the exact same way. And, you know, Milan Lucic, to me, here's a player who gets traded to Calgary in the offseason for James Neal. This has been probably the most lopsided trade oh, yeah. of the offseason, maybe over the last 10 years. I mean, James Neal for the Edmonton Oilers is on fire. Milan Lucic, not even close to the numbers, not even close to the impact for his team. So here you are, Milan Lucic, in Calgary. And then here's your opportunity. Here's a moment to say to the city, hey, I got this kid. I got our best player. I'm going to put him on my back. And then this is a moment for the city just to wrap their arms around you. Uh, you know what I mean? To kind of like be like, hey, uh, you're our guy now. This is awesome. Milan Lucci could have stepped up in the media. He could have stepped up in the game last night. I don't think he needed to do anything to Cassian. Like Zach Ronaldo made the comment as Cassian was skating off after the fight. Hey, I got you. I, you're, you're me next. You and me are going next. Yeah. What he basically said, which was a cool moment. Of course, they didn't end up fighting. But Zach Ronaldo, I mean, yeah, something like that's awesome. But for Milan Lucic, uh, Zach Cassian going off after one of your best players, your top point guy. Uh, Milan Lucic, how do you not go um, and be physical? You don't need to fight or hurt anybody, but how do you not get extra physical on like a Nugent Hopkins or a Dreisaitl? Maybe you ragdoll uh, that the defenseman bear in front of the net. I mean, just something with a little pushback. You're right. I, I kind of thought something like that would happen or develop, especially for a Milan Lucic, but you know, it never did. And, and maybe we see something more. They do have a home and home. I think they are playing again on Saturday. So it was a couple days off before then, but you're right. I think it was a missed opportunity, certainly a great opportunity and a great moment that uh, he just 
completely grabbed in Matthew Chuck. And I think it was a missed opportunity, certainly for a player like Milan Lucic. Yeah, and it was. And, you know, I, 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 I'd like to put this PSA out there now for everybody else in the Pacific Division. Look, Vancouver, Arizona, Vegas, we love you guys. We'd love to see you in the postseason. But stay the hell away from second and third place in the division because that first <laughs> round needs to be Flames and Oilers. And look, I get it. If you can get it in the second round or if you get it into the – well, it's not going to be the Western Conference Final because we all know one of the teams that's going to be playing there. But what better way for the NHL to say, hey, you love this sport? We'll check this first round out, Calgary and Edmonton. Like, that is the ideal first round of a playoff. Well, I'm impressed by Calgary, Alex. I mean, I know you watched the game the other night. Uh, the Blues snuck away with one there. They, they had some zip to them. I, yeah. I think – I think that this moment in their season, I think for some reason they're going to look back over their season, whether they go to the Western Conference Final and see the Blues or they go in the second round, whatever happens to them, I think they're going to make a good push. I think they're going to look back at this week and say, hey, that was a defining moment in our season. They looked good against us. I mean, Johnny Goudreau was skating with pace. He had fire. He didn't look pulseless like he looked a couple times earlier this season when we played him. Uh, Sean Monahan had the two goals against the Blues. He got in a fight last night. Their stars are starting to kind of come around a little bit. They're starting to play with that pace. And I think that what happened last night with Matthew Kachuk, with Monahan, with the entire Flames versus the Emmons Oilers, I think this could be a big moment for the Flames where they can grab this you know, put this lightning in a bottle and just run with it because they got this crazy potential. Of course, they don't, they didn't lose a lot of bodies and they won the Western Conference final. They went to the, excuse me, they won the Western Conference regular season title last year. So the pieces are there. I think the believability is starting to come around with this team. I, I'm, I would not be surprised if Calgary is a team that just makes a serious push throughout these last 30-plus games, I assume. Yeah, well, and I can tell you that that team's got a little chip on their shoulders. I talked to Craig Conroy for our pregame show on Tuesday, and he even said that the way that the season ended last year left a very sour taste in a lot of those players' mouths. So playoffs will be interesting down the stretch with the Calgary Flames. It's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. It's This Week in Hockey. We're going to come back and play a little game with Joe Will it be broken? We'll explain it next after the break here on 101 ESPN. Well, final time this hour here on This Week in Hockey. Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you. Again, a reminder, tomorrow night, Blues and Oilers, 8 o'clock puck drop, 7 o'clock Mitsubishi Electric pregame show. Because that game comes your way tomorrow night, and of course, it's a little bit later, you'll hear Behind the Bench with John Kelly and, of course, Craig Berube from 6 to 7 o'clock. So plenty of hockey for you tomorrow night here on 101 ESPN. Joe, you're into games, right, buddy? Love games. Love games. So we're going to have some fun with this one. I teased it. This is a terrible name for it, but I figure I'm going to come up with it on the fly, and that's just how it's going to work here. But will it be broken? So earlier we talked about Alex Ovechkin and chasing Wayne Gretzky. So let's just start there. I truly believe in what he's 201 goals away from catching Wayne Gretzky and the all-time goal scored in National Hockey League history. I truly believe that record's going to be broken by Ovechkin before he calls it a career. I do too, Alex. You're right. He needs 201. We did the math the other day. He needs a 201 more goals to catch Wayne Gretzky. Um, he's got 35 goals this year with 20, is he 31 more games left? I mean, he could easily hit the 50 goal plateau again this year, which means that's another 15. So if you do the math from there, that means after this season, he's going to need roughly like 185 more goals, Right. which means I put it at five seasons at 37 goals 
or four seasons at 46 goals. Now, that's the average. Again, he can go over that 50-point block, 50-goal plateau a couple more times in the next couple of years, and then that average certainly is going to drop. I think he's going to hit it. I think at earlier this year when someone asked me the question, I think two things stood out about it. He needed to, one, stay healthy, which mm-hmm. he has proven to stay healthy in his entire career. He has not missed many games. And the second one was Nicholas Backstrom. Yep. That's his go-to guy. If, if Ryan O'Reilly and David Prawn are the peas and carrots of the Blues, the peas and the carrots of the Washington Capitals is Alex Ovechkin and Nicholas Backstrom. Of course, he uh, negotiated his own deal, a five-year extension. So he's going to be around for five more years. We just talked about what he did, what, what Ovi needs for the next five years. Well, Backstrom's going to be there. Right now, if Ovi stays healthy, I agree with you. I think that record uh, will be broken, and we will look at Alex Ovechkin as the greatest goal scorer of all time. Not the greatest hockey player, but goal scorer. By the way, did you see Steve Eiserman, Darren Pang's closest friend, uh, what he said about the Capitals? He basically told Ovechkin in an interview that, hey, I've seen you party with the Stanley Cup. When you surpass Gretzky, make sure you give me a call. I think everybody's on board with that. Great. If I can get invited to that party, oh. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be extra close to Darren Payne just because I know he's extra close to Steve Eisman, who's going to be extra, extra close. close to Ovi. Yep. Exactly. Because I want to go to that party too. Uh, well, no, his, his emotion when he wrote, rose the cup, or I guess risen the cup, help me out with my grammar. I think here, it was rose Alex. the cup. I think you're right there. When Alex rose the cup. Yeah, I think that's I, it. Uh, I'm all about when Petro did, of course. But yeah. there was something about when Ovi lifted that cup. Like, you just saw. Oh, yeah. Like, I still get goosebumps thinking about it. Like, he was just, his heart was going to explode out of his <laughs> chest. And, oh, my God, I wanted to go strap him on again and, and put him back up there. But, again, we're, we're looking at a guy who was just as elite and as pure of a goal scorer as ever. You know, it's funny. He's only one goal away from Mark Messier's record, too. So he's going to start creeping up on people here. Mark Messier at 694. Ovi stuck at 693 right now. But what's even more interesting about this, Alex, geez, I've had a lot of time to do math. I've been really bored on this road trip. Um, he's one goal away from Mark Messier, but it took Mark Messier 1,756 games That's to incredible. get to 694 goals. Okay, so always one less goal, but he's got 1,134 games. He's got 622 less games than Mark Messier, and at any day now, he could take over Mark Messier's goal record. So, yeah, again, we're looking at a consistent, elite premium whatever i mean uh cream of the crop filet mignon kobe beef however you want to say it uh he's the best of the best reminder this is this week in hockey with alex ferrario and albert einstein here on 101 espn with all of these math problems by the way i'm going to be extra close to joe vitale in that connection so i can attend the alex ovechkin party so with all of that being said joe you know i was going through some of the records in the nhl here are the ones that i personally feel like will never be broken i mean look wayne gretzky's nearly 3,000 career points just mark it off never gonna happen here's one that i'm curious your thoughts on though because i don't know if this could happen but never say never Bill Mazinski's three goals in 21 seconds. Oof. You know what, Alex? That is a tough one. I don't think, I don't, I just, so the, so the closest it ever was, was back in 1955. It was scored a hat trick in 44 seconds. 44 seconds. Okay. You know what? Uh, I'm trying to think if, if one's an empty netter, let's say that you score. Score two quick get, ones. Yeah, let's say you score late to tie it up. Then you score 
uh, the go-ahead goal right off the face-off, and then they pull the goalie. Maybe you win the face-off. Maybe, yeah, maybe it could happen. I, I could see it maybe happening quicker than I that. Could see I think that, one. that one's more realistic than the Wayne Gretzky. Yeah, for sure. And then, now listen, this one's never. Montreal's 24 Stanley Cups. No way. Gretzky's 215-point nope. season. No way. Uh, you have Glenn Hall's consecutive games in goal, 502. By the way, without wearing a mask, which is ridiculous to even sit here and talking about this is another one though daryl sittler's 10 points in a game wow how many was it it was 10 points he put up back in 1976 yikes i don't see that ever getting close either I don't think that I, I no it, it, that can't happen. I mean, not even, I mean, it was it was crazy last year when Patrick Liney scored five goals against us. I don't think that's yeah. happened maybe since. I know that's goals and points are a lot different, but um, that I don't think that one will be touched. I got one here for you though, All right. Alex. We're Let's just talking it. about this. How about consecutive games played? Okay, we got Doug Jarvis. He he played nine hundred and sixty four games. Uh, that was his Ironman streak. So meaning he played without ever missing a game. 964 in a row. He was number one. Okay. There are, let's see, there are five players that are active in the NHL right now that are in the top 10. Jay Bomeister, he's at 737, so I don't think he's going to get that. Um, you got Phil, but he, oh, you know, he already missed yeah, that. Yeah, his, his broke uh, last year, unfortunately. Yeah. I'm sorry, that that's not active. You have three of them that are active. Sorry, five that are in the NHL, three that are active. Phil Kessel's active at 826, so he's like 140 off. Uh, the interesting one here, Patrick Marlowe, he's at 836, which I don't think he's going to get that. I don't think he's got much hockey left. But the one for me, okay, so here, does Keith Yandel break Doug Jarvis's Iron Man streak? Doug Jarvis, again, number one at 964. Keith Yandel, who's very active and very healthy and logs good minutes for the Florida Panthers. He's on that good contract. He's at 846. So he, let's see here, 118. I think he's 118 away there from the all-time record. Does he get there? I think he could get there. I mean, you're ta- I mean I he's only so 33 years old. That's two more seasons. He's got two more seasons. Alex, he got hit in the mouth with a puck this year. He lost seven teeth. Oh, my god! And he returned to the game. It was the first game of a back-to-back. He went in the next morning after the game. He, after the game, he finished. He had surgery, <laughs> and he played that night. What a he, man he, And I actually FaceTimed him. I FaceTimed him when, when – uh, uh, Whitney and Bissonette were in town. We went to dinner that night. They're yeah. all good buddies. And he answered, and he's got a brand new set of white, pearly, <laughs> just just pearly diamonds across his row. So he's got brand new teeth. But, I mean, th- that's the kind of guy Keith Handel is. I mean, unless something crazy happens like Tomas Hurdle happened the other night where he's got his ACL. I mean, there's really nothing stopping Keith Handel. I could see that one. And you know the one that really sucks that could have done it was Andrew Cogliano. Before that, mm, that yes. one game where Anaheim basically just didn't play him, which was really frustrating because I think, I mean, he's at 993 games played in his NHL career now. Uh, so if that one game doesn't happen when he was with Anaheim, you could be looking at a guy who's close to it as well. I think he got suspended. That's if I what it was. Yeah, correctly. the suspension. Yep. Yeah. He got suspended. I remember, like, him talking about it after like pregame skater the practice and he was so emotional he, he was crying like he was it's a guy that's passionate he wants to be out there it's not so much about the records he just wants to be a part of the game and he wasn't and to see that emotion I thought that was a cool moment how about this one joe most penalty minutes in one season dave schultz with 472 
Never again. <laughs> That'll never happen. That won't even get Not close. Not even close. Most goals I don't by know if a player's going to get over 200 anymore. That, yeah, that's true, especially for the way that the NHL's been going. Uh, most goals by a defenseman in one game, Ian Turnbull had five. Ooh, I, I I just can't see it. Yeah, I just can't. I, I don't. I don't think that's going to be touched anymore. Although D'Angelo had the three in that one period. Maybe for the Rangers this year. Maybe Kale McCarr yep. at some point. Maybe Kale, oh, five goals. Oh man, I mean yeah. Patrick Liney did it. Remember Patrick Liney did it last year. Alex against the Blues. Yeah, and that made like headlines for weeks. I mean, he's a forward and he's an elite goal scorer right. uh, for a defenseman. No, I think it's hard enough to get five points as a defenseman. Uh, five goals, no way. Here's here's the one that we're going to end on, which is just ridiculous to me larry robinson's plus minus in his career 730 never wasn't bobby Orr number two yeah i believe so but like that's just that's not fair yeah bobby Orr was 597 ray bork was 528 wayne gretzky was 518 it's just not fair larry not even not even not even fair big bird (laughs) and you know what and he's the most humble guy uh, did I ever tell you my, my favorite Larry Bird story? Uh, not Larry, yeah, uh, Larry, Larry Bird. Larry Larry Material your Larry Bird story. <laughs> here, here I go calling him the Big Bird. I'm getting mixed up. No, that's Larry Bird. He was a basketball player for the Celtics. This is Larry Robinson. Uh, he's a 10-time Stanley Cup winner and the 10th and the best one coming from the St. Louis Blues. I get the job last year, Alex. Okay, I get the job. It's the first day of training camp. Okay, I'm kind of obviously brand new. I mean, I've known the players a long time. I'm getting, you know, the trainers and just new faces and the PR guys and and, play, and people like you. I mean, just I don't even know who's with what organization. I'm just kind of getting my, getting my bearings down. And all of a sudden, I'm in the locker room after the first practice, and the players are getting undressed and doing their interviews, and they're getting packed up at the mills because they're going to the Enterprise Center for the next day. So I see, you know, Joe Farnsworth, the head equipment guy here for the Blues. He's packing up bags, throwing them in this big bin in the middle of the room to be shipped out. And then I see a couple of the other assistant guys. They had the Blues logo, so I'm assuming they're equipment guys. I see this other guy with a Blues jacket on, and he's just loading bags, this old, tall guy. I thought he was like someone's grandpa or maybe some help or some assistant. And he's loading bags. And then Kerber comes up behind me, and he goes, isn't that amazing? I go, what's that? He goes, that's Larry Robinson packing bags up for the trainers so they don't have to do it. And I go, that's Larry <laughs> Robinson? He goes, yeah, you didn't know that? I go, oh, my God, no, I've never met him before. And he goes, yeah, isn't that unbelievable? Larry Robinson was packing up bags and helping the trainers load it up to be shipped off to the Enterprise Center that day. I mean, if that doesn't just sum up what this guy is about i don't know what story does that was such a cool moment i'll never forget it man what i would give to go back in time and have joe vitale walk up to him and say oh which grandpa are you <laughs> or, or hey would you mind getting me a cup of coffee yeah. from the break room hey mr pareko would you mind going to grab me a cup of <laughs> cup of joe please i'm joe vitale ever heard of me unbelievable <laughs> that's awesome that's larry robinson though for you i mean he's about as humble of a guy as it comes to when it comes to a hall of famer that's joe vitale i'm alex ferrario let's wrap up the first hour we'll come back plenty more to get into here on this week in hockey on 101 espn hour number two of this week in hockey alex ferrario joe vitale with you here on a thursday night we come your way every thursday night of course when there's not interruptions with other blues games or any other different games that play here on 101 ESPN so next week I believe we're going to be coming your way on Friday night because there is a Blues game next week but let's not talk too much about the future let's worry about right now Joe and uh, I'm 
I'm really interested to get your thoughts on this because you've played with some pretty incredible names in the NHL that are going to have very long-lasting legacies when you think of Sidney Crosby, when you think of Shane Doan. But there's one right now in the St. Louis Blues that's approaching it. We talked about it already. Alexander Steen, who is closing in on a 1,000 games played in the NHL. He's already overtaken fifth place in terms of points in franchise history for the Blues. And you got a guy who's inching up on the st- or the uh, numbers when it comes to Blues games played in franchise history. But, but, Joe, this one interests me because I truly think when Alexander Steen decides to call it a career, he's going to be remembered as one of the greats to wear number 20 for St. Louis. I, I think so, Alex. I mean, listen, this is a, this is a player that uh, I, don't, I don't know if we're going to see his number in the rafters one day. I, I, I just don't know if the numbers are quite there. But this player, I, I can't think of maybe four or five other players that have meant more to this organization than Alexander Steen. I mean, uh, think of him, him when he was born in Winnipeg. He grew up in Winnipeg, you know, uh, underneath Thomas Steen, and he kind of just been, always been a rink rat. Uh, I remember the day he was drafted. I'll never forget it as long as I live. I was kind of watching the TV around that time. But um, Alex is, to me, the records, the games – uh, what he's meant to this franchise. But what's the most impressive thing about Alex from my distance and now what I do as a broadcaster breaking this whole thing down was his decision last year to continue to evolve uh, and reinvent himself. That That's what it takes to play a thousand games. You cannot play a thousand games in this league and be the same player night in and night out unless you're one of the special ones like Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid, or Wayne Gretzky. Now, those are a select few that could play the exact same way, and they're probably <laughs> going to be okay. Alexander Steen has been on the top power play unit. He's been a healthy scratch. He has been a PK guy. He's been a first-line guy. And But his decision last year to reinvent himself to be that fourth-line guy is the reason why he is just continuing to just climb the ranks with this organization, hit the 1,000 game mark, and become the player that he really was. It is that reinvention of yourself. Last year, Craig Berube had a decision to make when he took over this team. He, he talked about it. I sat down with him. We did a Q&A last week, and he said the first thing he needed to do last year when he took over November was get the leaders together and help them understand what we're trying to do here. Now, one of those leaders was Alexander Steen. He was someone who the year before was on that top power play unit. He played top six minutes, and Craig Berube had discussions with him, and it was very clear that for Alexander Steen to stay in this lineup, he would need to take on a new role as a fourth-line guy, grind it out, be physical, play with pace, but play only eight, maybe ten minutes a night. Some players that old, that veteran, he's had 800-plus games at that moment, 900 even. He could have made the decision to say, heck with you. I've been doing this a long time. I've been here a long time. You've only been here a couple of years. And he could have turned his cold shoulder to it and just ignored it. But he didn't. He basically took it and he ran with it. He said, this is what my coach needs from me. This is what the team needs from me. So I'm going to go out there. I'm going to be the best freaking fourth-line player I can be. And with him, Ivan Barbashev and Oscar Sundquist, out of the words of Brett Hall, quote unquote, we would not have won the Stanley Cup last year if it wasn't for that fourth line. And to me, that guy, the center of that fourth line, was Alexander Steen. His leadership, uh, the way he brings young guys up, 
is that you just cannot put a price tag on that because we got some young guys that are developing and learning how to play the game the right way. Players like Robert Thomas, Vince Dunn, Zach Sanford. Having 20 in that locker room, people will never appreciate enough what Alexander's done for this franchise. And, you know, I think something that people need to really understand with, with Alexander Steen, Joe, is, is back when the Blues acquired him in 2008, I, I mean, you know, they trade away a guy in Lee Stempniak who was coming off an incredible season where he nearly put up 30 goals. He was the prolific goal scorer, and everyone thought, ooh, this is the guy that can help take this team to the next level. Didn't turn out that way. John Davidson pulls off the move to bring in Carlo Koliakovo and Lee Stampniak. Actually, I think that might have been Doug Armstrong that pulled off that move, not John Davidson. But they bring in two players. And when you look at that roster in 2008, 2009, Joe, it was kind of in a transition purgatory. Like, you had a Paul Correa, you had a... Keith Kachuk at the tail end of his career. You had an Andy McDonald, but then you also had a David Backus, a David Perron, a Patrick Berglund, a TJ Oshie. And I think that trade, and this is just my opinion, but I think that trade was truly trying to find more stability for a young player to come into this group and kind of join in to that young core that you were trying to build with, but that had a little bit of veteran uh, leadership and veteran presence. And at the time that the Blues acquired him, he was already a four-year vet. He was already four years older than Perron and Oshie and Berglund. I think Steen kind of transformed that transition to a Stanley Cup championship team because, oh, by the way, that was a team that was also without Alex Petrangelo when they acquired him. Exactly. I was going to say Petro was part of that as well. Uh, you know what, Alex? It's a good point because I think we've seen how it's come full circle. I think when you bring young Alexander in that year and you have players like Paul Correa, for example, I mean, talk about a Hall of Famer. Alexander, I think, learned underneath Paul Correa. He talks about PK a lot. And I think that now, look at all these years later, now Alexander Steen is that Paul Correa. And I think that that's what such great veterans do in this league. Again, put all the records and franchise leading categories aside. It's about what are you giving back? And I think that Alexander Steen understands that because he learned from the right people. Andy McDonald's a good one as well, another great leader back in that time. Alexander Steen learned from these players. And now, 10, 15 years later, he's giving that knowledge and he's passing that along and giving it back to the players that used to be him 15, 20 years ago, the players like Robert Thomas. I mean, I was sitting down with Robert Thomas talking to him today in the locker room, and and I was just asking him, what's it like to be playing with veterans like Tyler Bozak and Alexander Steen? And he got the biggest smile on his face. He's like, man, it's just so much fun. They make life so easy. Uh, they play the game such a simple way. They never overextend themselves. But aside from that, they're just really good guys. They're just good people to be around. They're so calm. They're so collected. They're like they're like the grandparents. I mean, Alex is like that grandpa on that team or like you know you know those those uh those uh tribes or any kind of colony of people they always have like one person like the chief i yeah. guess is in charge like that's out you go to him when you're sick you go to him when you need wisdom you go to him when you need advice you go to him when you need to get into a bar you go to him when we have <laughs> a reservation for 10 people and it's your favorite restaurant you can't get into it you go through alexander to do it and again the argument for me i think for a while for a lot of people where it was does Alexander Steen make too much too much money with this team? Is he is he holding this team back from getting someone else? I think a year later, after what has happened last year, what continues to happen with this team, I would make the argument that he's not getting paid enough. Wow, that's a great point, especially when it comes to the way that he's influenced. And you know what, Joe? That's the part that's the other the, the other factor to me is 
it's been it's been a transition and a carryover each you know, every five or six years when it comes to players and how they bring in the new core. You know, you think of guys like Brett Hall and Al McKinnis and Chris Pronger bringing in the Keith Kachucks and the Pavel Dimitras, which result into guys like David Backus and Alexander Steen, which carries over essentially into an Alex Petrangelo, which is going to carry over into a Robert Thomas. And, and my final thought on this, and I'd love to hear your end of this as well, you're going to see Robert Thomas have a career like Alexander Steen. You're going to see a Zach Sanford have a career like Alexander Steen in terms of these are guys that become glues into a locker room. You know, I agree. I, I do agree with that. And it's funny you bring up a lot of players, and not only on this team, Alex, but after games on the road, I mean, even the Vegas game that you came to uh, to be a part of on the road here about a few weeks ago, I'm, I'm, down, I'm down below in the bottles after the game. We're getting kind of collected and ready to leave the building. And Alexander Steen, he's always one of the players out in the hallway talking to players from the other team. I mean, yeah. there's Paul Stastny there. There's Jan Stastny, his brother, um, who who came out, and he was a part of that. There's like three or four players that are just kind of huddled around Alexander Steen. He's played in those international matchups. He, he's played around the world. He invited so many people from all over teams to his wedding a few years ago. He's just, he's just a good guy. He just treats people so well. And I'll never forget how he treated me my first year on this job. He talks to all the Fox Sports Midwest people. He talks to the broadcasters like they're a part of the team. He just, he's just a very kind individual. He's grown so much throughout his career. He's learned from the best. And now he's starting to transition that into um, some of the best and the young guys as well. But speaking of young guys, hey, before we go to break, did you call Colton Pareko Colt 45 or Colt no, 55? Colt 55. Oh, because you know Colt 45 is a beer. You know that, uh, right? I do love Colt 45. I love Colt okay, 45 yeah, hey. in the beer. I love Colt 45 in the song. And I love me some <laughs> Colt 55 on the ice. I like, wow, that should be a shirt. I, I think I just created a shirt, Joe. Oh, give me some props. I mean, I kind of prompted you to this. I mean, but no, hey, what a great nickname that is. Bam. I mean, you, you just changed my world. I'll put Joe Vitale's name on the inside of the shirt, like in Billy Madison, where they ask him, hey, Frank, is that your shirt? No, this is Frank's shirt. I'll put Joe Vitale's name on the inside of it. How's that? <laughs> Actually, this is Frank's. You looked it up and showed him one of Joe's. Okay, got it. Actually, this cool. is Frank's shirt. Actually, this is Joe's idea, but we'll make it look like it was mine on the front end. Love it. Deal. That's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. We'll come back and talk underrated X-Factors. We've talked to Alexander Steen. He's an X-Factor with what he does, but what are some that may not pop out to the fans of the St. Louis Blues? Joe and I will discuss next here on This Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. Well, welcome back to This Week in Hockey. Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you. We'll get into the trade deadline discussion because a lot of people around hockey right now are thinking about that as we inch closer to that at the end of February in the NHL. But, Joe, let's talk about St. Louis once again here. Uh, Coming off of a great victory against the Calgary Flames, not maybe the best game, but still nice to get those points. You know, I was thinking about this the other night, and Dan Betlock and I were talking during the broadcast. When you look at this team, you know what the X factors are. You you got Ryan O'Reilly, you got Jordan Bennington, you got Tarasenko when he returns. But I, I I was asked the question, what about the underrated X factors, the X factors that aren't really talked about by St. Louis? And you know, I'll throw my first one out there for you, Joe, and get your thoughts on, it, and then I'd love to hear yours. Zach Sanford. I mean, you had another big game by him against the Flames. That's seven points in his last six games. Right now, you really need Zach Sanford to be a top six forward and a power forward for this Blues team. 
You know, I think Zach is an interesting one, Alex, because here's a kid that's been given a wonderful opportunity to be on a top six role on one of the best teams in the National Hockey League. Uh, the argument with Zach is that he can be a little streaky, and he knows that, and he understands that. Craig Berube has put him on that top six throughout the games. He's dropped him down in the bottom six. We've seen Zach Sanford healthy scratch this year. So he's kind of been a player, maybe tiptoeing in and out a little bit, still looking for that consistent effort, maybe what this coach wants out of him to be in that top six role uh, throughout this season. Um, you see flashes. You see great flashes. I mean, Zach Sanford's hands, his shot, his ability around the net, his, his, uh, his strength on pucks is incredible. All those things within his control are his strengths to his game. The area for Zach that he needs to improve on, the one area that Craig Berube needs to see out of him in order for him to become the established top six guy is he's got to move his feet. He talked about it a couple days ago after the break, the start of Vancouver, uh, as the Blues come back from the All-Star in, in a bye week. Zach Sanford, number 12, needs to move his feet. He's got to get in on the forecheck. He's got to add pace to that second line. You're looking at a line with Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron. They're not going to wow anyone with their speed, so they need a little bit of giddy-up on that left wing. Zach has the potential for that. I don't think it comes very natural to him. I think he would love to play kind of that more slower, observant, uh, patient, strong on pucks, good around the net game, but he's got to find a different level. That's what this coach needs out of him. That's what this, this line needs out of him. And for Zach, it's in his control. I mean, you look at last year, right before the trade deadline, as we're less than a month away from the deadline, Doug Armstrong had decisions to make. Every player understands that there are executive decisions that will be made very soon. For a player like Zach Sanford, he needs to own that. He needs to show Doug Armstrong, Craig Berube. Uh, there's a lot of rumors out there, and these players are aware of these rumors. We all know that Chris Kreider is a hot topic right now, and he's the one that maybe the Blues might try to go reach out to and get around the deadline. If you're Zach Sanford, if I'm in his skates, if I'm in his shoes right now, you want to play over these next three weeks the exact way he has been playing in Vancouver and in Calgary and hopefully in Edmonton tomorrow night as he continues this kind of dominance on that second line. You got to play with that pace. You got to play with the physicality. You got to play over the edge a little bit. And if you do that, you will show Doug, you will show Craig Berube, you don't need to go and get anyone. Just like last year, right before the deadline, Doug Armstrong didn't make any moves that were significant. Yes, you bring in Del Zotto, but really nothing else. Zach Sanford has that in his control. He can go out there every game and prove to the coach, prove to Doug Armstrong, you don't need to go get Chris Kreider. We maybe have Vladdy come back for the playoffs, but for that second line left winger spot, that's mine. And I'm going to go out there and I'm going to prove it to you every single night. Well, and I think that's huge, too. And again, we'll talk about the trade deadline coming up in our next segment, Joe. But, uh, you know, with Zach Sanford playing that way, the Blues truly need that player. And that's why it's kind of an underrated X factor for me. Because when you think back to last year, Joe, and that push that the Blues were having, you know, you had an incredible season by Ryan O'Reilly. Tarasenko was carrying a load. Perron was before he was injured. But you really didn't have that depth of scoring. Sunquist was there. Barbashev was there. But it was a lot of guys at the top six who were playing big roles roles for you now without Tarasenko and with Perron scoring you know one goal two goals the other night Jaden Schwartz continuing to score you kind of need that other player to help this Blues team along and you know another underrated X factor for me Joe is Sammy Blay now we saw the first game back for Sammy against Calgary and look he kind of anticipated not much from him because he was out for 10 weeks but this was a guy who before he was injured this was a guy who was scoring goals and looked like he could be a top six player 
Well, I think that Zach Sanford understands that Sammy Blay is back in the lineup now. And I don't think there's any coincidence why Sammy Blay comes in the game a couple nights ago in Calgary. And Zach Sanford has one of his better nights of his his, his, his uh, probably his young career, certainly this season. Because there is that inter-team competition, which I think is very healthy. Sammy Blay um, was shown last year earlier this year to have great success with Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron. He moves his feet. He's big. He's heavy. He controls the puck. He's basically um, a, a version of Zach Sanford. So I think that inter-team competition from what you just said about Sammy Blay is a really healthy thing. I do think if things do start to slow down for Zach Sanford, I think it would be an opportunity for Sammy Blay to go back up there and to see – if there is a reignited spark, reignited chemistry between number 90 and number 57. I'm going to kind of go on the back end here a little bit, Alex, to get your thoughts on it. But for me, uh, it's Robert Bortuzzo. And yeah. um, he gets healthy scratched a couple games ago, excuse me, last game a couple days ago in that Calgary Flames game. You bring in Carl Gunnarsson. You want him to get maybe a couple reps. You give Robert Bortuzzo a seat. Hey, three power plays in regulation for the Calgary Flames and three goals against. I mean, this to me – is something I know you're, you have Oscar Sundquist who isn't in the lineup as well, but from a penalty kill standpoint, Robert Bortuzzo is so efficient. He's so effective. He is such a huge part of special teams, and it's something that is, it is just not talked about all that often. I thought it was an interesting call to healthy scratch him. Maybe he's dealing with some sort of injury, so I shouldn't maybe say he was healthy scratch, but for him to be out of that lineup, I will say this. It had a very negative effect on the Blues penalty kill, and we can see we can see uh, how special teams can affect wins and losses. And the Blues got away with one the other night. If you give up three power play goals against, there's really no reason why you should win games. I think 90% of the games that you do give up three power play goals against, you will not win those games. So for me, Robert Bortuzzo is such an X factor as far as uh, being present on the penalty kill, being aggressive. I mean, he is just such a developer of players as well. Nico Mikula, a couple weeks ago before he got sent down, just talked and raved and raved and raved about playing with Robert Bortuzzo, the veteran, the communication there. He plays a simple game, and and people around him have success. So for me, it's Robert Bortuzzo being that next factor. Yeah, and you know what, Joe? That's a great point, too, and that's a player that I don't think people think a lot of, but when you, when you think of Robert Bortuzzo in those penalty kills, you know, he's the guy, and he's one of the few guys, I feel like, on the blue line that's not afraid to jump in front of any shot. I mean, he will get in front front of shots left and right if he needs to. I mean, hell, he was blocking Alex Ovechkin one-timers. He was blocking one-timers from guys who have pretty elite shots. And that's truly a big factor for St. Louis. And, you know, my final one, Joe, is kind of a you know, an umbrella over all of this roster, and it's staying healthy. I mean, look, you know, it's an, it's unknown right now with Alexander Steen. Um, Oscar Sundquist missed a game. Mackenzie McEachern has missed two games now. Robert Bortuzzo was out. We don't know if that was a healthy scratch or if that was some type of injury. This is just at the forward position, but this kind of tells you how important certain players are to the Blues team. So Tarasenko this season, without him in the lineup, the Blues are 26-9-6. and Without Blay in the lineup, they're 7 Eight and three. Without Steen in the lineup, they're seven six and three. Without Pareko, they're four one and two. Without Thomas, they're three one and one. And without Sunquist, they're four three and zero. Oh. So just between Steen and Sunquist, kind of shows you how important some of these players are to the role that Craig Ruby likes to play. Well, I think you bring up a good point. I mean, our, our worst records amongst the players missing are two guys that 
hung on that fourth line last year, Alex. I mean, and this is something that Brett Hall discussed as we had a Q&A over the All-Star break with him. He said, and I quote from Brett Hall, without that fourth line last year, we do not win the Stanley Cup. Right. So the X factor with that health is the depth. You need depth. This team relies on depth. Let's talk about the first two games heading into the, or the last two games heading into the All-Star bye week. It was the Philadelphia Flyers at home. The Blues lose that game in overtime. Then they go to Colorado right before break, and they get thudded. Uh, they did not have the depth. They did not have all the players running. And what did Craig Berube have to do? He had to rely on those top six guys a lot more. He knew a break was coming, so he gave Ryan O'Reilly a ton of ice time. David Prime was out there a ton. Jaden Schwartz, Braden Shen, they were out there a ton. Ryan O'Reilly, those last two games leading up to All-Star break, he clocked in almost 30 minutes each of those two games. And, of course, the result is the Blues lose. I think the result of all those things, you kind of put it all together, uh, the recipe for the St. Louis Blues team is, you got to stay healthy and you got to run four lines. This is not a very fast group. They don't thrive on transition. They don't have an exceptional power play. They don't have maybe the most elite uh, $10 million um, players like the Austin Matthews and the Connor McDavid's or the Nathan McKinnon's of the world. They rely on their energy. They rely on their aggressiveness. Now, those two things require a lot of conditioning and they require a lot of bodies to do it consistently over a 60 minute game in an 82 game season. So to your point, stay healthy and you got to rely on your depth. And like, like Brett Hall said, again, interesting comment without that fourth line, uh, the Blues do not win the Stanley Cup last year, and, and I, I believe it. I really do, and, and your stat right there just showed it. With two two of those fourth liners out between Sunquist and Steen, the Blues have um, the worst record of all the players that have missed time. Well, and I tell you what, Joe, that's going to be an interesting factor going down the stretch run because I, I would I would almost guarantee you Craig Ruby would like to go back to that fourth line that was so good for him last year, but you also have the, uh, the options and the factors of Jacob De La Rose, who you acquired, who has played in and out of the lineup, Mackenzie McEachern, when healthy, you want him in the lineup. If you go out there and acquire a top six forward, and then of course Vladimir Tarasenko, you got to decide what to do with Sammy Blay and Zach Sanford. So there's going to be some big roster decisions for this team, and that means you're going to have to have guys who accept roles without question for the St. Louis Blues. That's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. It is this week in hockey. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, Joe and I mentioned the trade options for Doug Armstrong. We'll tell you about those and what that lead up to the trade deadline is like for players. So we'll get into that next here on 101 ESPN. Back in on this week in hockey here on a Thursday night. Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you. Blues back in action tomorrow night with a uh, a late night game. Well, late night, I guess, here for Joe and Curbs. It's going to be normal time, but it's an 8 o'clock puck drop between the Blues and Oilers. A 7 o'clock Mitsubishi Electric pregame show presented by First Community. A 7.30 BMW of West St. Louis pregame skate. So now, Joe, with this game on Friday, there are 13 games left before the Blues, before they get to that trade deadline, February 24th, before we get into the mindset of a locker room and a player and a roster as you approach the trade deadline, I want to just get your thoughts on the trade deadline in general. So we, we, we already know kind of players that have been out there, Chris Kreider, Tyler Toffoli, names that are on the market, and Doug Armstrong saying that a top six forward is what they'll be searching for depending on Vladimir Tarasenko's status. But I'm curious from your angle, Joe, what uh, 
what does a trade look like from the Blues side of this one? Like, if the Blues were to make a trade, and look, I understand this is, you know, opinionated here. This is just you and I talking. But if if the Blues want to make a trade for a top six forward, you're looking at a high draft pick, and you're looking at possibly a player, whether it's a young prospect or whether it's a roster player that you're going to move on to bring in somebody. Well, you know, I think that, you know, let's just break down the two players you just discussed right there, Alex, because I think those are the two top UFAs, pending UFAs heading into the summer that are good trade bait for a lot of teams out there. Chris Kreider, obviously, with the New York Rangers and Tyler Toffoli with the L.A. Kings. You'd like to think that um, the Kings would probably not like to do a deal with the team in the same conference. Typically, that's the way it goes. Not not saying it can't happen. So then you got to go basically to the East, which it, it's a zero in on Chris Kreider yeah. um, for, for, one, for one second here for a minute. You know, you're talking about a 20-goal 20, 20 guy, maybe a 50-point guy per year, making around $4 million. He's going to be a UFA. I don't think it's a situation where the Blues would acquire him and necessarily need to sign him to an extension. I don't think he's that type of player. I think you can use him as a rental. I don't think you need to give up a first-rounder for Chris Kreider. I don't think it's worth it. I think you need to give up a couple early mid-rounder draft picks for sure, a second, a third-rounder, and then definitely a prospect. I mean, you're looking at the New York Rangers who are in a a rebuild, and they have some really great pieces right there. Obviously, they signed Artemi Panarin, the top UFA last summer, and they have a lot of young, really kind of cool excuse me cool players in the sense where they have that speed the skill and they have a little bit of bite that d'angelo defenseman on the back end is a spectacular player they have caco up front uh, amongst strome who needs to get a new deal this summer as well but so they're gonna look for some probably early draft picks and then they probably will want a prospect um which direction do you go I- i'm not really 100 percent sure about that um but those to me are the two top ones keep in mind josh anderson although he's not a top six guy he will be a rfa at the end of this year uh, but for columbus that could be another interesting one you talk about a, a player who can play with some jam some giddy up he's been hurt a lot this year but he's kind of got that that energetic style of game that I think would cater very well to Craig Berube. Uh, how about this name too, Joe? Uh, Anthony Duclair from Ottawa. Yeah. Now, I don't know if Ottawa would be willing to part with him or what they're going to be wanting, but you obviously know they're in a little bit of a rebuild. Duclair's a restricted free agent after this year. He was an all-star, and he adds speed, and he adds a little size to your roster that you could put on the wing. Yeah, you know, I played with Anthony in Arizona. We called him the Duke man. The Duke, <laughs> Dukes of Hazard, Dukes of Earl. Uh, he's a great kid. As a fun kid, he's got a great personality. He's great in the locker room. Um, nothing more better you can say about a guy's personality. And from a hockey standpoint, he's lighting up this year. I mean, to see him on the ice for that all-star game in St. Louis last week, that was a shocker. I mean, if you would have asked me that, you know, five months ago, I would say absolutely not. Here's a player that, you know, he gets drafted. I believe it was by Chicago, I want to say. But he played a little bit in Chicago, played a little bit in Arizona, got bounced around to Columbus. Now he's backing up in Ottawa. He's been moved around quite a bit. And I think he's got super talent. He's got super speed. And he can play a a very important role. Now, do I think he can come into the St. Louis Blues and provide that top six role i don't quite think he is that i think he's a top six guy certainly a top three guy a power play guy on a struggling team like the ottawa senators but to me uh, alex he reminds me like a robbie fabry yeah you have robbie fabry here he's a bottom six guy as we all saw 
but then he goes to a Detroit team and he gets a great opportunity and he can score and he's a good hockey player. But I think for a team like the St. Louis Blues, as deep, as strong, as competitive they are going to be in this window for the next two or three years to win a Stanley Cup, I just cannot see Anthony Duclair kind of come in and fulfill in that top six role. So with that being said, and as I mentioned, you know, 13 games away before we get to February 24th for St. Louis, which is the trade deadline in the National Hockey League. What's that like in the locker room, Joe, at this time of the season? Because I heard you mention this yesterday on the fast lane, or the other day on the fast lane, that is, and you said this is probably one of the toughest stretch for a hockey player, you know, post-All-Star break, going into the trade deadline. It's a real lull of a season. Why is that? Well, it is for lots of reasons, Alex, but this is definitely, these next three weeks are probably the toughest part. Um, the holidays are behind you. The, the, well, let's start from the beginning. Uh, the start of the season, you have energy, you're excited about the new season. That kind of wears off, but then you got the holidays to look forward to and these little breaks these players like to see. Uh, that's beyond you. And then you have the all-star bye week, which now it's about a week, so players can get down south, get some rest and recovery, and recovery, of course. Now that's behind you. So now you're heading into the playoff push. You think it would be kind of a cool time for players, but it's not quite there yet. I mean, we're still 30-plus games away from the playoffs so there's really not a light at the end of the tunnel so you have these next three weeks before that light kind of makes its appearance to himself and then to put on top of that these next three weeks you have this kind of trade deadline kind of lingering off in the distance so for many reasons this is a very difficult time i think for the blues last year it was a little less difficult because they were chasing they had energy they had excitement they were you know at the bottom and they were slowly starting to see their coming up and make that play a push so there was a purpose for the energy every single night now it's going to be even tougher for the st louis blues this year because they are up top i mean you're looking around and you're starting to see geez we're on the top this is the kind of the grind of the season where where is our motivation where do we find this energy that's going to be the challenge for this blues group because they are at the cream of the crop right now and they are at the top so to find that energy every single night is going to be a challenge heading into the deadline i will say this it just sucks. I, I don't know how else to say it. Every player is going through it. You are a little bit nervous, unless you're Ryan O'Reilly, uh, unless <laughs> you're you know players like that, uh, Colton Pareko, Jordan Bennington. I mean, you know, they're probably not worried about very much other than if we do get someone else, how are we going to make their, their adjustment good or maybe losing a friend? Of course, we saw with Paul Stassi a couple of years ago, that had a huge impact on this team. I remember running into Alexander Steen about three or four days after Paul Stassi gets traded to Winnipeg. That had a very bad domino effect on this team in the sense from losing a great personality and losing a great friend. So these are all the things these players go through. Uh, I'll never forget, I think it was my second or third year in Pittsburgh, uh, there was a lot of talks about us getting a player. We, I woke up one day and we got Jerome McGinley. And every player starts to think, well, as great as this is, where's my role now? Right. Am I going to be next on the chopping block? Brendan Morrow, a couple days later, gets brought in. Yushi Jokinen, Douglas Murray, the crankshaft, as you like to say. He got brought in that <laughs> year as well. So, you know, it's, it, it's a weird thing. It's almost like you have a family and you have your parents, which are your general manager and your head coach. And you like to think that your family's great, but at the end of the day, sometimes your parents will go out there and they'll say, hey, we found a really other cool kid that maybe we find a cool way to replace your brother with this other cool, we think he's going to be a better brother. And then all of a sudden you lose your brother. I mean, it's a, it's a weird thing. It's a business uh, but so much of it is personal. So it's just at the end of the day, it's a very sucky time. But for these players, the best thing they can do is just to focus on their game like Zach Sanford has been doing and to keep keep grinding away and showing the general managers, keep showing this head coach that you belong here 
and you want to stay here and that you can fulfill these roles where hopefully you don't have to go out and, and, and grab anyone. But at the same time, too, from a team standpoint, there are some good players out on the market. Would Chris Kreider come in here and help this team? I do believe it. I believe without question, Doug Armstrong has the only thing he's spoken about has been this. We can get better. And if we have a chance to get better, we will get better. So I think to me, that is a sign if a deal could be made and it works for both parties and it works for Doug and he can see that Chris Kreider can help uh, help this team win another Stanley Cup, by no means is he going to reflect from that and by no means is he going to deflect anything from that. He will go out, he will go get him. Do you think that that has a factor too, Joe? Like does Doug Armstrong talk to Craig Berube and a couple of those leaders before they go out there and make a trade to make sure that it's something that the players want, the roster wants, and that they feel that they can adapt to? You know, I think it's part of it. Absolutely it's part of it. I think you have to look at it aside from hockey, how will this affect the team how will it affect the personalities of course the player you're bringing in bringing in you have to do your due diligence from a scout standpoint from asking around the league what is this player like is he a team guy and the biggest question is um, can you see him fitting in uh, to this system I mean that that is something that I remember when Taylor Hall early this year Alex was was kind of running around right in November before Ray Shiro made the move to send him to Arizona. There was a lot of talks that maybe the St. Louis Blues would pick up Taylor Hall. And the question for Craig Berube and Doug Armstrong was, does he fit into a team system? He went from Edmonton, where there was a lot of young stars, individuals. He goes to um, the New Jersey Devils, where, again, a lot of young stars, but not a lot of team concept. So the question mark for Taylor Hall was, would he fit into a team system like Craig Berube has put forth? Of course, you know, we're not sure exactly the details would happen, but Doug Armstrong, of course, passes on Taylor Hall. He goes off to Arizona. So there's so many intangible things that uh, general managers and head coaches discuss about a player, his personality, and will he fit inside that defensive zone structure, that team identity that we've established here. And if those questions are all answered as a yes, and he will he will help this team, he's a good guy, he's a good guy to be around, and he just wants to win. If those questions are answered and everything is taken care of on the ice, uh, again, that's a player that can help you win, and Doug Armstrong will go after him. That's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. We continue with This Week in Hockey. We'll take a break. We'll come back with more here on a Thursday night on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. Time now for What's Up With That. Well, sit on down and tell me what's up with that. Final time here on This Week in Hockey. What a night it has been. Joe Vitale, Alex Ferrario with you. That sound means it's time for What's Up With That. And we got a lot of goodies in this one, Joey V. So I'll start it off. What's up with the Philadelphia Flyers mascot? Gritty is now a convict. I know. Did you see that? This is incredible you you to me. You, you can't hit kids, right? You can't do that. Well, yeah, I guess you. I guess the moral of the story is you can't punch thirteen-year-olds in the back. So if you didn't see the story, basically, gritty, the Philadelphia Flyers mascot, who was known for just causing problems, was taking a picture with a dad and his thirteen-year-old son, and. Afterwards, the claim is that Gritty punched the kid in the back, and now it's being investigated. To me, Joe, I still feel like this is just a huge ploy just for coverage for the Philadelphia Flyers. I think so. This has got to be staged because no, there was no witnesses, right? No one saw him do it. No, or other, she yeah. do it. And, and how do you not see? Well, see, that's the part that's creepy. Nobody knows what's under Gritty. We refer to the freaking thing as Gritty. Yeah. That's what's frightening. But yeah, no. Well, and he showed up at the All Star game. Like I thought he was on like parole. Yeah, like I thought, I thought, like how, how does he show up? Yeah, he's showing up climbing over people. It's like if you have a convict, are you really going to let him out of your sight? Like I thought he's on like house arrest. 
I tell you what, you know what, to, to be honest, at the end of the day, I, I hope this isn't true. I, I actually really, I'm starting to really come around with these mascots. Really? I, I really enjoyed them at the skills competition. <laughs> the dance off was one of my highlights. And uh, I even asked Ivan Barbershop on my Crystal Cream Cup of Joe last game. He talked about it. He, he enjoyed the mascot game probably more than anything. These guys or, or girls are are just <laughs> terrific i mean they are they're fun they're energetic and uh i really kind of like this whole new trend with the nhl be honest with you as far as these go i'm sorry joe but now that you brought up the cup of joe i have to mention the Krispy cream cup of joe what a freaking interview with ivan barbashev when you asked him about the equator and mackenzie mckechran in the background goes <laughs> he doesn't know what the equator is <laughs> And then we tried to describe it. Boy, hearing three guys try to describe what the equator is and how it relates to space and the sun and the seasons and the gravitational pull. Oh, my God. But, sign me up for that But you know what was so funny was after McEachern said that, you go, I mean, you don't know what the equator is? And he goes, no, I don't know what the equator is. It was like <laughs> it was like a Three Stooges conversation, and I loved every single second of it. Uh, you I know got, what I should do for my it. next Krispy Kreme before? Yeah. We should do like a three-way. That would be kind of cool, like do a three-way conversation. We, with two, we, uh, that. Yeah. All right, we're going to do it. We need to get a mic, and you need to just sit down, or you need to get like a little mic connector so you can have three mics at once and hand them to two players, and you sit in between them and just go. Like That's what needs to happen. Gotcha. We're going to come away with it. So another one for you, Joe. We all know the hardest shot competition in the All-Star festivity. Zidane Ochara holds the record. I believe it's 108.5, which seems like it mm-hmm. could never be beaten, correct? Well, well. That's right. So in the AHL, their skills competition, Martin Frick of the uh, Ontario Reign, I believe. It's the LA yep. Kings minor league system. Dude clocked it at 109.2. Holy frick. 109.2. And you know what's so funny about this? Mike McKenna, who's been on This Week in Hockey, a This Week in Hockey alum, we would say, uh, he posted it on Twitter because he was doing commentary on the AHL All-Star game, and he said that he has said from day one that Martin Frick has the hardest shot and that clock was not altered because, McKenna said, I've taken a couple of slap shots before from this guy, and the dude can fire it. Holy Frick. Did you see what he did there? I, I did. Contact his name. I, I yeah. see what you did there. So, so that I, was I the play on words. What a bomb. What a bomb. <laughs> Shea Weber didn't even get to 106, I think, in the skills competition, right? No, I mean, he didn't, actually. This guy. This guy looked like Wreck-It Ralph, though. Did you see him pull up his sleeves? He had, like, no cuffs on his gloves. Like, he was prepared to put that puck through the net. I mean, uh, shout out to him. 109. That is an insane – that's an insane speed. I I, I just – as my good friend Buzz Lightyear would say, to infinity and beyond that shot. You know what I mean? I didn't know you two were friends. Oh, yeah. He's a good good friend. Me and Buzz. I call him the buzzer. Joe, we need to update your Wikipedia page. You know, what's up? What's we, up Wikipedia we need a wick. We need to update it. You know, he he basically big timed Wayne Gretzky. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's best friends with Buzz Lightyear. True, and he co-hosts the best hockey show in the United States in this week in hockey with Alex Ferrario. Bingo! Okay. I think apparently on Wikipedia you can like make adjustments. Like you can like update it however you want. You didn't a- know a- this? Anyone can do it. I didn't know this. Do you mind doing it for me? Oh my god! I thought you. This was like I was told throughout my high school and college career that you cannot use Wikipedia as a source because it is fake. 
Oh, man. Now, you know what I kind of want to do? I kind of want to read through this with you and find out, like, what's true and what's not true. What's real and what's not. Right. Like, I don't think too many people are spending time wasting lies about me and putting them on the internet. Well, now you don't know what I'm going to be doing for the rest of the night tonight. <laughs> well, how about this? On June 24th, yep. the Coyotes traded Vitaly, the 20th overall pick, and the 53rd overall pick in the 2016 NHL entry draft to the Red Wings in exchange for Pavel Datsuk. That's got to be a lie. That's a lie, right? That's got to be a lie. You wouldn't no, be traded. You wouldn't be traded straight up for Pavel Datsuk. That's actually true. Look at this guy, just no biggie, big time in it all day long. Another one for you, Joe. Uh, the name of the hockey team in Seattle has been leaked. Have you seen this? I have, and I wasn't too big of a fan. So what you do don't you, you don't want to unleash the Kraken when you go to no, Seattle? No, it sounds like crack. That sounds like a, something I put in my soup. No, I don't know. I actually kind of like it, to be honest with you. It's better than some type yeah. of fish that they come up with. Like, who wants to play the Seattle Marlins? Who wants to play the Seattle right. Stock Eyes? All right. First of all, it's Sock Eyes, oh. not Stock Eyes. Well, regardless, it's <laughs> dumb. Sorry, I don't I don't know my fish names. Dude, I just went all Chris Kerber on you me did. right there. I go, first of all, yeah. wrong, wrong. I feel like Donald Trump. I'm like Donald Trump slash Chris Kerber. Wrong, wrong, wrong. No, I, I would have loved it. I would have loved it to be the sockeyes or the – yeah, I always like the, the Seattle fish chuckers. You ever go to that Pikes, that Pikes place? I uh, haven't, but that mar- it's like, a, it's like yeah. a bucket list for me. I want to go there. Yeah, they like throw fish around. How about the Seattle fish chuckers? Or, uh, you know, Ryan O'Reilly said it should be called the Seattle grunge. Like I love the, the, the grunge. Music. Yeah. Yeah. And like, but you know the, what the problem with that is? You got like a lot of like drug possibly well, window things yeah. happening. Yeah. I mean, you, and then your mascot's going to basically be gritty, but with like the emo hairstyle over his face, right? Yeah, yeah. Not on board know. with but that. But Kraken, not the worst, not my favorite. But you know what? I, hey, I wasn't. Were you a big fan of the Golden Knights? No, I didn't like Golden Knights when it came out. That's what I was just gonna say, Joe. I I am on record saying that the Golden Knights was the dumbest name ever, and they were not gonna be popular. And now look at me. I know. Yeah. So, wrong. Ferrari. Wrong. wrong. First of all. <laughs> First of all. Wrong. One more what's up with that, Joe. And this one's this one's a little emotional, a little sentimental here in St. Louis, but I'd love to get your thoughts on it. Uh, David Backus now officially done with the Boston Bruins as they sent him through waivers. He wasn't claimed. And Backus basically said, you know, I don't want to play for Providence. I feel I can still play in the NHL. So you could possibly see a trade with Backus as the Boston Bruins might eat some of that salary cap but uh tough to see that but kind of a what's up with that it is and i think that you know he took that hit earlier this year on sabarin uh, i thought to me i thought that was it i thought david backus has been hit so much his career was kind of dwindling down he tried to battle back one more time bruce cassidy you know he, he came out and he said that listen we got a lot of young players that need to get some looks and we got to give them those looks and we got to free up this guy and so you see why the boston bruins did it uh, again, David Back is another couple of years still left on that deal. It's going to be interesting to see what happens by not reporting. 
Um, he has a decision to make. Uh, the management has a decision to make. He could retire. Uh, I don't know if he's going to retire. I mean, and then you have to get into some contract things, how that's all going to work out, buying out situations. Uh, but I think for right now, I think the situation for David Backus is he's going to hang on the market. He's going to have his agent call around. He feels like he can still contribute to the National Hockey League. Maybe some team does pick him up. Um, but if you're out there, you're a St. Louis Blues fan, a David Backus fan, I would not hold your breath for Doug Armstrong to bring him back for this group. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't think he fits into this roster, especially when it comes to the salary cap that you'd be dealing with. It would have to be a hell of a deal to bring in a David Backus. But even Backus is, or I'm sorry, even Armstrong has stated that they're not looking for depth forwards. They're looking for a top six. And unfortunately, David doesn't really fit into that role for this team. No, and that's just it. I mean, that's the biggest thing. They're looking for a top six guy. I think they need a top six guy. Uh, and I think that Doug Armstrong is going to start moving these chess pieces around uh, to get someone. I mean, that, that's half of me. And the other half of me, Alex, is that, geez, he did nothing last year. Right. And look what happened. I mean, this is this is a very tight group. And, you know, there's, 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 obviously you have an argument for, you know, the Zach Sanfords or the Sammy Blaze. Can either of those guys fulfill those top six roles on a consistent, let's say, 25-game stretch of playoffs? Uh, I think they prove it. They could do it in streaks last year. Uh, I think the, the belief now that Zach Sanford probably is the guy. I think Zach Sanford, we talked about this earlier in the show, but Zach Sanford, it, it, the opportunity's there for him. If he grabs it and says that I could be 90 and 57's go-to guy, then maybe Doug Armstrong does nothing, which he could also do as well because, as they, all, as they always say, if it's not broke, don't fix it. But there there is still a level that this Blues group feels like they have not hit yet and they they feel like their best hockey should still be ahead of them it's pretty scary to think that they're ahead of the central division the biggest powerhouse division national hockey league and they can feel they still they feel they can still be better which is a good thing uh but to me if you feel like you could still be better and you really haven't reached that potential yet maybe it could be a missing piece that Doug Armstrong goes out and gets. Well, they'll see kind of what that step forward looks like tomorrow night as they'll drop the puck against the Edmonton Oilers. It's an 8 o'clock puck drop with Curbs and Joey here on 101 ESPN. I'll have your Mitsubishi Electric pregame show presented by First Community at 7, the BMW of West St. Louis pregame skate at 7.30. And that's going to do it for us tonight. Joey V, crushed it once again, buddy. Dude, Alex, always fun. Even, even when I'm in Edmonton, although I am watching this this golf tournament from Scottsdale, Arizona. So I got like the snow and the gray clouds coming out my window, but then I got this like beautiful green pasture and these beautiful people in Scottsdale I'm watching. So uh, I'm keeping it balanced here in Edmonton for you. It's the way to do it. See, you just always got to find that right balance on this week in hockey. A big thank you to Danny Betlock for all of his work. I'm Alex Ferrario. We'll talk to you tomorrow right here for Blues Hockey on 101 ESPN. With Black Friday savings at The Home Depot, you'll find top brand kitchen appliances with innovative features that can do more so your holidays can be more. Ovens with built-in air fryers for baking the perfect cookies. Dishwashers with smart tech to clean everything from bakeware to festive mugs and high-capacity refrigerators to keep leftovers fresh. Shop Black Friday savings and get up to 30% off, plus instantly save up to $750 on select GE kitchen packages at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Offer valid November 2nd through November 30th. U.S. only. See store or online for details. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.